0: Seated. Maybe seated. <laughs> Make yourselves comfortable. On the table in front of you is a uh, connection card. And I forgot how to talk about connection cards during the coronavirus. So, But I'm sure you can figure out what to do with this. We'd love you to get your name on the front of it, your address, phone number, if there have been any changes. If you are watching us at home and we don't have your address or we don't have your phone number, let us know. Send us a message or, or let us know in the comments and we will message you and we can get that information. On the back, we've got room for next steps, what God has prompting you to do this week. We've got a spot for prayer requests and you can, you can figure out what to do with that from there. But we'd love to know that you were with us this morning and we'd love to know how we can join you in prayer. This week, for the steps God is prompting you to take and for the things that are heavy on your heart that you are going to pray about. I am in Acts chapter 2 this morning. We are continuing our series on one another and what is more about how to get along with one another than how church is supposed to look. So that's what we are starting to talk about this morning how church is supposed to look because we are looking at the perfect model of church, the church that was started. In the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2. I'm starting in verse 41 through 47. If you've got your Bible with you and you're following along. If not, just pay attention. Let me read to you a little bit. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Then those who accepted what Peter said were baptized. On that day about 3,000 people were added to the group of believers. The believers spent their time listening to the teaching of the apostles. They shared everything with each other. They ate together and prayed together. Many wonders and miraculous signs were happening through the apostles, and everyone felt great respect for God. All the believers stayed together and shared everything. They sold their land and the things they owned. Then they divided the money and gave it to those who needed it. The believers shared a common purpose, and every day they spent much of their time together in the temple area. They also ate together in their homes. They were happy to share their food, and they ate with joyful hearts. The believers praised God and were respected by all the people. More and more people were being saved every day, and the Lord was adding them to their group. So as we talk about kind of of back to the basics, what is the basic ingredient of a good church? Or what are a couple of the basic ingredients of a good church? Well, let's look at how they did it in Acts. Because the way the guys who walked with Jesus did church, that's probably how church should be done. Right. So as we look back at that, we want to get back to that. We want to check out those one another things, those one another statements. A couple weeks now, we've been looking at those and we're going to continue. We're going to do a lot of one another's in 2021 because as the pastor and I were praying six months ago or more about what 2021 would look like here in the church, we just kind of figured that let's, let's look at all the times Peter or Paul or even Jesus said, this is how you should be treating each other. Because if we do what they said about treating each other, then we are probably moving pretty close to the way God wants us to be moving. So that's what we're looking at in Acts chapter two, chapter two opened as they were celebrating Pentecost. And then in the middle of chapter two of Acts, Peter preached and 3000 people came to know Christ. That is one heck of an altar call, isn't it? I mean, that must have been a heck of a stampede when he said, if anybody would like to accept Christ, come forward. And 3,000 people came forward. I'm not quite sure it was exactly that way. But 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day. I don't want to just blow right past that. That's the first verse, and that's not the, the focus of what I'm talking about. But can we remember that day that we gave our lives to Christ? Some of us can remember the exact day, the exact date, the exact time. I don't know the exact time that it happened to me, but it was raining outside. It was August 15th of 1992. And it was August 15th because it was just after midnight. Maybe an hour after midnight. It was raining, pouring outside. I remember that vividly. Some people don't know the exact date, but they can remember that exact moment when they gave their life to Christ, when they kind of started that that new thing in Jesus. And, And the reason I want to focus on that is because we have said this several times in here, that when you give your life to Christ, that's not the finish line. It's not, oh, hooray, he got saved. So, you just sit down and wait for the Lord to come back, or just sit down and wait till you die in old age and, and Jesus will get you. No, when you give your life to Christ, you're now on the clock. You have just punched in as a believer. Amen. That is how the early church treated that. 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ, 3,000 people just punched in, reported for duty. And so, Peter and the other apostles said, Okay, well, we had 3,000 people ready to go. What do we do with that? Let us start meeting together. And that is what they did. When you give your life to Christ, you are on the clock. And there is an expectation for how you are going to act and react. And sometimes, as Brother Sam talked about, often, like Brother Sam talked about, when you're on the clock, God's going to show up and you're going to have to do something you don't want to do. You're going to have to do I just want to stay home and sit in my chair. I don't want to go somewhere. I don't want to do something. I don't want to talk to people. Just leave me alone and let me have a day off. But but you're on the clock and you are expected to serve God. And that doesn't mean you always get to serve God on your time inside your comfort zone when you have time to do it. Your time is no longer your own. So many of these 3,000 who gave their lives to Christ stayed right there in Jerusalem, and, and that was the formation of the very first church. It starts with them gathering around God's Word. And, and that is really, I think, the first ingredient of a healthy church, gathered around God's Word. That's what they did. Um, they studied God's Word. They worked on memorizing out of God's Word. And and, and I don't know if their memorization was word for word. We have a memory verse here that we do every month. This is the last month, the uh, last Sunday in January. Anybody remember our memory verse? Uh, the praise team's got it. <laughs> He's got it, He's got, you guys got it. And you know what? And that's what it's about, is, is they memorize. I don't know that they memorize word for word. They didn't have all the different translations and all the different versions that, that we have. They certainly didn't have any sort of a PowerPoint or a phone in their pocket or any sort of you know scripture flashcards that they bought at the Christian bookstore. As as they memorized, they were probably much more focused on memorizing the intent, memorizing the the, the what what the meaning of that scripture was than getting it word for word because loving one another, that's what you're supposed to know for January, that we are called to love one another. If you don't know the exact words, or if you've got it memorized in the King James, but you don't know it in the the ERV, or maybe you memorized it in the NIV, and you don't know the NLT, and none of that is is as important as loving one another. Knowing the words is good, but doing the words, that's what's important. And it doesn't matter whether you do the ERV version or the NLT version or the NIV or the King James. If you're loving one another, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so as they sat with scriptures, studying and memorizing and living the scriptures, that was like a big part of it for them. Not just, just sitting and, and, okay, everybody listen, I'm going to read something out of the Bible. Amen. Everybody goes home. But I'm going to read something out of the Bible, and how can we go out there and live it? And that's when it gets hard. That's when you're on the clock, and that's when you have to do some heavy lifting. Because living this way, as as our pastor talked about a little bit ago, living according to the word in this culture in 2021, it's not easy. And if you find it easy, then you're probably not living according to the word because it's not easy to do what God wants us to do. It's hard, it's challenging, it's meant to grow us, and it's meant for us to shape other people by our lifestyle. Listen to what they did in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the beginning of verse 42, check this out. The believers spent their time listening to the teaching of the apostles. Now the teaching of the apostles They didn't have a a Bible like we have. They had a whole bunch of Old Testament scriptures. They had all these scrolls, all these, these different parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of that wasn't even written yet. And the gospels weren't, weren't recorded. They were verbal stories from guys that had been there. They were teaching out of, out of the Old Testament out of the, the, the Tanakh, which is a big part of the Old Testament, out of the Torah, which is some of the first five books of the Old Testament. They were teaching out of the books of prophecy, out of history, out of poetry, out of law. They understood that all of these different scrolls they had, all of these different texts, were all these different kinds of written words from God. And sometimes I think we lose that a little bit with this great convenience of, of, I've got this Bible. This isn't a book. How many books are in the Bible? 66. 66. 66. You guys are on the wall this morning. 66 different books in here. Prophecy, law, poetry, history. All of this different stuff. The life of Christ. And some of this, it's meant to encourage and inspire. Some of this, when you sit with it and you're having a bad day and you open this up, it makes you feel better. Some of this, it's meant to step on your toes. Did you ever open the Bible when you're having a bad day? And instead of getting encouraged and and excited, God shows up and kind of steps on your toes and says, hey Mark, your bad day is your own fault. Your attitude made your day bad. Your choices made your day bad. Mark, you need to change your life to be how I want you to be. Maybe that just happens to me, but, The scripture is a whole bunch of different things all together. It's not like the phone book where the only difference between the beginning and the end is these these names start with an A and these names start with a Y and a Z. It's all these different things together and it forms all these different stories and parts about God. That's why the Bible is so powerful. And, And as the apostles worked through these Old Testament scrolls with these folks and they, they complemented that by talking about the life of Christ because really the Old Testament points to a point in the future when the Messiah is coming. And the Old Testament is really, the whole book is about Jesus. All 66 books are about Jesus. Some of them are about the life he led and some of them are about who he's going to be when he shows up. And and as the apostles did that, and they drew this line actually in, uh, back in the message that Paul preached at the beginning, or in the middle of chapter 2 of Acts, Peter, not Paul, Peter, was talking about the Old Testament and and the prophecy of the Messiah coming. And then he explained to them that the Messiah has come, and he was that guy that was crucified about two months ago, and he began to talk about why. So as they got, got back to the basics, they listened to the teaching of the apostles, they listened to, the, to the, about the life of Jesus, they spent their time doing that, they were gathered around God's word, and, and, and when you gather around God's word, that's what we do when we come in here on Sundays. That's what, what we want you to be doing when we, when we open our Bible and do our daily Bible readings that we're working on as a church, is we gather, what happens when you gather around something? You're investing your time in it. You looked at my notes, didn't you? (laughs) You are investing. That's that's coming up really soon. You're investing your time. You're giving it your time. You don't accidentally gather around something. But uh, imagine a campfire. What happens if a bunch of us, we gather around a campfire? Doesn't it change us in some way? Hopefully, it makes us a little bit warmer, both inside and out. Have you ever been cold outside? How many people have been camped? And you get close to a campfire, and it's like it's like the best thing they ever had, because suddenly you've got some warmth coming through. you. the, the, the campfire changes you. What else does a campfire do to you? Have you ever smelled somebody that had been standing next to a campfire for a while? I mean, you get that smell on you, and it's on you. I mean, you're 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 not going to breeze that away. It's 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 on you, and it, it, it almost kind of cooks. Into you that campfire smell. Fortunately, campfires smell pretty good. But would you get that on you? Nobody that gets near you after you were at a campfire is going to have any mistake about where you were and what you were doing. They're going to know that you were just near a fire. As we gather around God's word, it ought to be changing us, Amen. outside and inside. And we ought to. And this isn't. This is kind of maybe a messy analogy, but we ought to kind of start smelling like God a little bit. So when we get out there in the world, people know there's something different about you. You were somewhere different doing something different. You ought not to have it easy to, to gather around God's word and then get out there in the world and just blend into the world. You get out there near the world and the world ought to recognize there's something different about this guy. There's something different about her. I don't know what it is, but there's something different. And, and that's, as they gathered around God's word, that's what they did. In verse 42, because that's the next thing they did, they gathered around God's word, the next thing, they did life together. Verse 42, the believers, the, the rest of verse 42, they spent their time listening to teaching of the apostles, they shared everything with each other, they ate together and prayed together. So when we gather around God's word, we gather around the, the gospel, We're not just to read, but we're to understand, to discuss, to live it out, and to encourage each other to do that. And that is what we are doing in this place, is we ask questions back and forth about what did we read? Brother Tom, I read it, I don't understand it, what did you think about it? And then Brother Tom can encourage me by sharing what he thought. Or Brother Tom can say, I didn't read it yet, but you have encouraged me to read it. And then he can message me later and said, "All right, now I read it, and I don't understand it either. The two of us better go and get William and see if William can help us out a little bit." That's what we're supposed to be doing with this. It doesn't mean you're reading it because you're an expert in it. It means you're reading it so we can learn together, so we can grow together. What are some things we? we what are some things that happen when we gather around Scripture? When we gather around God's Word? What are some of the changes in our lives? It lifts you up. It lifts you up. It encourages you. What else? He steps on your toes. He steps on your toes. So you feel good, that your toes are bruised. What else? Points us in the right direction. Points us in the right direction. Points out how we're not supposed to be acting. Points out how we are supposed to be acting. And when we do act that way, we get encouraged. And when we don't act that way. We get encouraged because he loves us so much he's going to give us another try. I I said to the pastor earlier this week that it is an awful good thing that God loves me as much as he does because we never reach that point where I open my Bible in the morning and God says, you know, today's the day where you and I are done because yesterday was the final straw, Mark. So uh, you and I are parting ways. Here's your... Here's your severance check and you can go ahead and clean out your office and get out of here. He, no, he doesn't do that. Every day I open it up and he loves me. And that is sometimes that encourages me when I screw up even more than when I'm encouraged by when I do right. Not that I'm encouraging you to go screw up. Go do right. But, but he loves us that much. Uh, verse 43, as they did life together. Many wonders and miraculous signs were happening through the apostles and everyone felt great respect for God. Miracles and mirac- or wonders and miraculous signs. Miracles and wondrous signs depending upon the version that you're looking at. So they were so tuned into God that they were seeing miracles all the time. How many of you saw a miracle this week? Alright, let me phrase it another way. How many of you We're near a miracle this week, and you didn't notice it because you were so busy working on your to-do list, so busy looking at your phone, so busy getting your chores done, so busy getting your job done, so busy focusing on all this stuff that we got to focus on in life that you just, you didn't even see the miracles happen next to you. Every hand ought to be in the air because there are miracles that happen all the time. You want a miracle? We're all here, gathered together this morning. You know, what a miracle, what, what great what great praise we had this morning. What a great uplifting and encouraging time we had to just close your eyes and listen to the music and, and focus on God. That is a miracle. And if you don't think it's a miracle, there's people on this planet right now, believers, well, they'd give almost anything to be in a room full of other believers hearing music of the quality that we just had, putting their hands in the air and saying, God, I love you, you're so awesome. We got air conditioning. We got heating. Miracles. We got cushioned chairs to sit on. We're not gathering around a campfire sitting on a bunch of rocks. You that got long winded sitting like this, wait till you're sitting on a bunch of rocks listening to it. You're really good. to Come on, dude. Hurry up. Get it done. Miracles. But we don't pay attention to them. We don't see them. And we take them for granted. And I'm just as bad. I'm probably even worse than you guys. I don't notice them because I get so busy with life. These folks were so tuned into God that they were able to, to step outside of their busyness and say, "Look at the miracle! They just had a baby. Look at the look at the miracle! Job promotion for this guy. Look at the look at the miracle!" Brother Sam responded obediently to God and spent time encouraging somebody and on what's quite possibly one of the worst weekends of the guy's life. We step outside of our normal routine and we see those miracles when we get tuned into God. And and that's that's what they were doing. They were paying so much attention to what God was doing that they were noticing God's stuff everywhere. Anybody here ever ever bought a new car or a new car to you? Anybody here ever bought a car? And suddenly you're driving down the road in that in that car. We bought not quite a decade ago, I can't remember. We bought a, a Honda CRV, which is kind of a, a small SUV. And it was used when we got it. Shannon and I bought that. And we kind of test-driven a couple of cars. We weren't specifically looking for a Honda CRV, and And we ended up buying this, and we're driving down the road. And you know what I saw all over the road everywhere? Honda CR-Vs, Honda CR-Vs everywhere. <laughs> 48 hours earlier, I didn't ever notice any of them. But now all of a sudden I saw them everywhere because I was tuned in to a Honda CRD because I had just bought it. Now I've been driving it for a bunch of years and I'm a little less excited about it because it's no longer a a new to me car. Now it's a car that I just pay the bills on and and so I'm, I'm less excited about it. I don't notice it so much. But when we get tuned into God, we notice that. If you've ever bought a car, I'm sure you have experienced that. Have you ever been really hungry driving down the road? And you notice every single one of those golden arches and every single one of those signs with a burger on it and everything advertising a taco or seafood or stuff you don't even like, and you notice it because you're hungry and your stomach's growling. When you're tuned into something, you notice that all around. What if we get so tuned into God that we drive down the road and all we see is God doing yeah. miracles Everywhere, and I'm not just talking about the Taco Bell they're building up there. Although you could call that a miracle, that's, that's we'll talk about that another time. But when you get so tuned in, you start noticing that stuff. All the believers, I'm in verse 44 now. All the believers stayed together and they shared everything. They sold their land and the things they owned. Then they divided the money and gave it to those who needed it. A lot of times, people get very hung up on. It. Because it, 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 it sounds an awful lot, like some of that political stuff that starts making us nervous to talk about, because well, wait a minute, I don't know if I wanna go work hard and take all my money and put it in a pile with all of Brother Sam's money, because Brother Sam's not working as hard as me. Is, is, is that fair? Or, or what if Sam's not quite working as hard as me, and we put all this money in a pile, and then along comes Brother Steve, who's not working at all, and Brother Steve says, hey look, pile of money, I'm going to the Taco Bell. And then Sam and I said, well, you didn't even work for any of that. What are you doing? But listen, it says, they divided the money and gave it to those who needed it. Who needed it. We are supposed to, and this church is really good. This is such a blessed body to be part of. We can get better. We got a lot of room to improve. But we are so good about financially helping each other when we need it. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's not something we do so that God gives us a gold star or a pat on the back. We are supposed to be helping each other when we need help. Not just with money, but with other stuff. Way, way back in October when I was miserable and I had the coronavirus, so many of you, and some of you I don't even know who it was, brought food and put it on my porch. Guys, I was so sick. I just. I, I couldn't do anything. It was it was all of my energy to get up out of the bed and go lay down on the couch. I didn't have the energy to cook. I didn't have the energy to rummage around in the kitchen and put something together. And my wife, who stayed healthy and didn't get it, she took the dog and she took off. She was going to stay at her brother's house so she didn't get sick. I was all alone and then here's all these people putting everything in together in one pile and saying, Mark can't do for himself right now. Let, let's put a pot of food. Nice his mm-hmm. Amen. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm not just excited about that because I got food. I'm excited because I'm a part of a group of people that says, you know, what I got is available to people who need it. Because right. that's how they did it then and that's how we're supposed to be doing it. Um, 46. The believers shared a common purpose and every day they spent much of their time together in the temple area. They also ate together in their homes. This is the second time they're mentioning eating. Like, verse 42 mentions eating, and then right here in verse 46, they also ate together in their homes. They were happy to share their food and ate with joyful hearts. They gave their time. Was it Jamie who said, you give your time and you gather on something? You guys ever watch Shark Tank? You ever seen that show where the people come and they've they've invented something or they've tried to invent something and they have an idea and they try to sell it to these these millionaire or billionaire investors that are sitting there? It's it's kind of a reality show. Sometimes it's kind of fun. And, And when you watch it, these millionaires or these billionaires that are there kind of auditioning these different ideas, and sometimes they jump on something and buy it or sometimes they invest in it. They're looking at what they say over and over again, the millionaires and the billionaires, what they say over and over and over again is that their most valuable commodity is their time. You want me to invest in you? Know what you're talking about and come prepared because my time is valuable. Somebody with a billion dollars in the bank is saying that time is their most valuable thing they have. Time is something we all have. So the good news is, in that way, we are all millionaires and billionaires because we've all got time just like them. But our time is valuable. What we spend that time on, it either ought to be valuable or it ought to be giving us a return on that investment. Sitting down in front of the TV and watching the ball game, that's not necessarily valuable, but you can get a return on that investment because it's relaxing and it's fun and it's enjoyable. If you spend 40 hours a week watching ball games on TV, that's probably not a good use of your time. But what you give your time to tells how important it is. And these folks were doing life together and they were giving their time to each other. And they were putting it all together because my time isn't my own and your time isn't your own and my money's not mine and your money's not yours. And then the stuff that I have isn't mine and the stuff that you have isn't yours. Not because it's some sort of communism or socialism where we're all compelled to share, but because we're all together saying we're on the lookout for somebody in need. Because if somebody in need comes along here, I'm not going to let somebody walk around this winter without a coat. Not if I can chip in and help them get a coat. I'm not going to walk in and let somebody not get a job because they can't get a ride to their job interview because their car's broke down. We're all in this together looking out for how can I take what I'm blessed with and, and, and help Brother Tom? And how can Tom and I take the stuff that we've got together and bless somebody out there who maybe doesn't know Christ, because what a great way to introduce somebody to Christ when you are helping them. Because this, this drive-by mentality we have as Christians. That I'm just gonna roll the window down and drive by somebody's yard at 50 miles an hour and shout out the thing at him, hey, you better know Jesus. And just keep going, that doesn't work. You want to introduce somebody to in Christ, you've got to invest in that with your time and some of your resources. Amen. We do life together, gathered around God's Word. So we're not just doing life together, we're eating together, hanging out. We're not just gathering around God's Word, we're gathered around God's Word, doing life together. The Word affects the life, and the life we're living affects What we're doing with the Word. We're letting His Word teach us how to live while we're eating and praying. The believers spent time listening to the teaching of the apostles. They shared everything with each other. They ate together. So doing life means they were sharing meals. Why could that be significant? How many restaurants are here in Keystone Heights? What kind of restaurants are we getting here in Keystone Heights? So we've had about four or five so far. We haven't listed them all. Brooklyn we have, we have Artie's and Johnny's and Domino's right there. We got Brooklyn Boys. We got McHenry's. We got Wendy's, McDonald's, Subway. Chinese Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin Donuts. <laughs> Coming soon. Taco Bell. <laughs> Keystone Inn. Keystone Inn. <laughs> Somebody said five. We got Laredo. We got several different places to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Not just that, i got some menus in the, in the trunk of my car. So. How many restaurant chains can we name that aren't here in Keystone Heights? Because we also know all the ones that aren't here. As we drive around and we look at all these miraculous things we're blessed with, and we say, well, I just want Burger King. I don't want none of this. I want one I don't have. Pizza Hut. Pizza it's Hut? Way. We used to have a Pizza Hut. Yeah, it was the fact that they weren't making enough money to stay open here wasn't my fault because I, I was pulling <laughs> my folks. I don't know what the rest of you were doing, but I did my part. but Pizza Hut, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, Arby's, you say? No, Friedies. What's that? Friedies. It's like a steak burger joint. I've never heard of it, but i steak and burgers. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's go. <laughs> But we know all these things, all these restaurants and all of this, and, and as we're shouting these out, a lot of us are thinking of our of our favorite meals. <coughs> Eating's kind of important to us, isn't it? I think you get them. Now they didn't. <can, laughs> he's only looking at his watch, like, come on, dude, let's go. They didn't have all those restaurant chains then, but do you think they liked eating food back then? As many times as they mentioned it, I'm sure at least somebody was excited to eat. Food is such a big part of our life. Every Thanksgiving, we do what? Eat. Eat. Every Christmas, what do we have? Turkey or ham, right? Easter, we have ham. Or maybe a turkey. Or maybe you grow burgers. Or whatever you're doing on Easter, I'm I'm, I'm into it. Valentine's Day is all about candy, right? And what do we do on the 4th of July? We're grilling out. Maybe it's steak or maybe it's just hot dogs. Either way, I'm not turning any of it down. We come together and we eat because eating is a—it's a—it's a, one of our primary physical needs because no matter how much you eat today, before the week is over, you're gonna be hungry again. It's one of our primary physical needs, but it's also a social and emotional need because we like to eat and we like to get together with each other and eat. We like to be with our friends and eat. And, and we joke a lot about how we haven't had potlucks around here in a long time because it's hard to do a potluck if you're socially distant and, and all of that. And, and maybe we joke too much and we turn this thing about Christians eat together into a joke and maybe we shouldn't because it's such of spiritual significance. Not that the food necessarily matters, but the fellowship that happens. Mm-hmm the coming together to encourage each other, the coming together to be encouraged, the laughter that happens when we eat together, the encouragement that happens when we eat together. When one of us is hurting and we share a meal together and they are encouraged and feel just a little bit better because they got to sit and they got to listen to Tom and Miss Barb laugh and, and joke together and it made them feel better, how important is that If we stop eating, we're going to die. And that's why this is such an important thing. They ate their meals together because they were emotionally and socially taking care of each other and meeting one of their needs. Mm Verse 42, I've changed some of the words around a little bit because, and I don't know if Ben got a chance to to get this together or not. But if we change eating together, listen to this as I change the, the eating together. The believers spent their time listening to the teaching of the apostles. They shared everything with each other. They did one of the basic things a human must do every day to survive together and pray together. They got together and shared life. And what is life? Eating is life. I'm not making a joke, but if you stop eating, you're not going to be holding on to life for a long time. That's why they mentioned it. That's why it is so important that they got together and they broke bread together. And they shared that. And and together is so important. You know, our culture values individualism. People boast about being loners. I hear this an awful lot working with young people. I don't need other people. I got it. I'll do it myself. I like being alone. It's, It's good to be alone once in a while. But we boast about not needing that But our culture who boasts about not needing other people is so lonely. Three out of five adults in December of 2020 indicated that they were lonely. And not just alone once in a while. Three out of five adults in our culture just a little more than a month ago indicated that they were significantly unhappy with how much time they were spending with people who knew them and knew about them. Hardest hit in these lonely statistics, the elderly. Look, I I love you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just going to say it. We've got some elderly here at Fresh Start Fellowship. We've got some elderly on our pastoral staff. (laughs) People under the age of 30 were also hit hard by this. Which sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind on that because they are all plugged into the technology. They are the most technologically proficient generation we've ever had on the planet Earth. And they're also the most lonely. They're the most plugged in socially, but they're the most lonely. And, and maybe that's because social media isn't social. Maybe it's anti-social. I work with young people, and I'm going to tell you, technology is... Poison that's wrapped in a candy coating. You are a parent. Get that phone out of those kids' hands. And if you're a grandparent, start talking to your kids. But get that phone out of their kids' hands because not only do they not need it, it's hurting them. You know, whenever I encounter an adult who has said, "You know what? I, I killed my social media because it was just..." It's just too much, it's too depressing, or taking too much time, or for whatever reason. I've never encountered an adult who's gotten rid of social media, who missed it. They all ended up saying, boy, boy I'm so glad I pulled the plug on that thing." We don't need it. We feel so connected, but it's a false connection.
1: You know who else was
0: being hit hard by, by this loneliness thing? People who have experienced significant change in the last 12 months of their life. Well, who didn't experience significant change in 2020? We all did, didn't we? Even if life didn't give you any major changes, the way you led life, sure did. Because now we gotta put on a mask when we go to the store, and we have the social distancing and hand sanitizer everywhere, and we're doing church from home. Life is different. Most of us know people that have been sick. A lot of us know people that have died. Life has changed so much, and that means we are prime open to feeling lonely and disconnected. How many of us have missed church at some point this year? We might not be missing it this morning because we're all here, but oh, well, we miss that connection, don't we? Maybe your church from home on the porch, and we can watch it. On. Oh, that's cool! What a miracle! What a blessing! But it's, it's just not the same, is it? We just we miss it. We're meant to do this thing together. Not as a bunch of individuals, but we are meant to be a family. We're meant to be a team. We are meant to be together so that we can go through these struggles together. Our culture values individual achievement. And God's word values together. Are we all love the culture. Or are we all about God's Word? Which one do you think is right? They ate together and prayed together because they sought community, and I've saved the praying together for last. You know, we do like together, gather around God's Word while eating and praying. Those three things the eating and praying, doing life together, gathering around God's Word. I think it's one simple sentence. We do like together, gather around God's Word while eating and praying. Prayer. I've saved that for last, not because it's the least important, but because it is the most. Because if you are not talking to God on a regular basis, then you can't grow your relationship with Him. You cannot marry somebody and then go into separate rooms and never have a conversation with them and grow your marriage. You cannot give birth to a child and then put it in the other room with the TV playing and never talk to that child and grow your relationship with you cannot grow a relationship that you don't pour into. And your relationship with God is the same way. Now, he loves you just as much no matter what. He doesn't love you less when you're not talking to him. But your relationship isn't growing when you're not talking to him. We do corporate prayer up here on, on Wednesdays. And I I can't speak for anybody else, but what an encouraging time for me to come together and sometimes we've been up here and sometimes we prayed for two, two and a half, three hours. Sometimes we've been up here and we prayed for just 20 minutes because it's just a couple of people. But what an encouraging time for me. I very selfishly love that time because I always feel so encouraged and so inspired when I get together with other believers. And some of those Wednesdays, the other believers, the preacher and it's just the two of us. There was one time the preacher didn't even come because he was up in Lamb and it was just me and Brother Sam. But we've had people from other churches in the community that have joined us. A lot of people from this church have come in and come out because they can't stay for a long time, if they're here for a few minutes. What an encouraging time to be together, praying together, doing life together. And I'm not saying that to guilt you if you work or if you can't get up here on Wednesdays, but how many of us feel like we ought to be spending more time praying? I'm not asking you if you want to spend more time praying, because if you wanted to spend more time praying, you wouldn't be spending more time praying. I'm asking you, do you feel like you ought to be spending more time praying? Most hands were in the air. You'll notice mine was too. If you feel like you ought to be spending more time praying, seek out opportunities to do that together with other believers. Because doing life together is our strength. We do life together. When we gather on God's word and we eat and we pray. That is not complex. That is not hard. That is not something that you need to go to college and get a master's degree in religion to understand. We need to be together, taking care of each other and doing life together. That is how church works. The pastor and I spent a lot of time talking and praying about Fresh Start Fellowship because That's where we are. And these are the things that we want for this place. Now, we've got a lot of these things already going. Some of them we need to work a little bit more on. Some of them we've got a pretty good good handle on. Some of them we're, we're not quite there yet, and we're coming along. But these are the things we want. Because as the culture changes, the days are gone when you can just go to church on a Sunday morning, and have that be your Christian walk for the week, because the culture is coming at you. The pastor talked about the one mile an hour current, and then there's going to be a ten mile an hour current, a twenty mile an hour current coming. It's coming at us. The culture out there is so fast. All of the garbage in the media and on the internet, all of the anti-family stuff that happens out there, all of the all of the busyness. And look, I'm not, I'm not calling you a bad guy if you've got to be away from your family working two jobs just to pay the bills. If that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. But let's all agree, that's not perfect because it's taking time away from your family. Life is coming at us at a million miles an hour out there. And if we don't get anchored into God's Word together, I'm not talking about being a member of church, I'm not talking about showing up every Sunday for donuts and coffee. If we don't get anchored and make this thing with Jesus real and this thing with each other about Jesus real, we are going to get run over out there. We've got to be doing it together. And if we're doing it together and we are anchored together, the unsaved people out there, they're going to smell something different about us. They're going to see something different about us. And they are going to notice that, and we are going to be able to bring them in and minister to them and help change their lives. Because you can't save somebody in a, a fast-moving current when the water's over your head and you don't know how to swim. <laughs> You're just going to go down the thing with them. We have got to be together because we are better together. We are stronger together. I think I heard somebody say that last week up here on the platform. We've, uh, we've got a letter on there about Lent. I don't know if the pastor was gonna, gonna talk about that. Um, we've, we've not really observed Lent formally at this church since I've been here. I'm not sure if y'all ever did it before I got here. Uh, it's, not, it's not a, a biblical tradition. It's just kind of a religious tradition. But we are going to, the pastor and I have decided, we are each going to give something significant up. We we haven't talked yet about what those things are going to be. I know what it's going to be for me. I don't know what it's going to be for him. But we're we're each going to fast from something for that six weeks. If you would like to join us, get rid of something in your life, something you enjoy. Don't pick Brussels sprouts, or don't pick cleaning the bathroom, or, or something like that. Pick something you enjoy. But, but when you give up that morning cup of coffee, or when you give up turning on that radio while you're doing dishes, or when you give up that TV program, where you give up whatever, take that time and invest it into God's Word. Invest it into crushing that memory verse for February and for March. In, invest it into just sitting quietly with God. Invested into sitting on the porch and talking to one of your grandkids on the phone. Invested into something healthy and, and spiritually good for you. It doesn't have to be a big thing that you give up. You don't have to give up food for forty days. You don't even have to. It doesn't even have to be something to eat. Maybe you give up your phone. But we just we're putting the letter out. We got a couple weeks until it would really start yet. We just want you to kind of start thinking about that to put on your radar. Start praying about that. Maybe maybe you're already doing without something and you don't feel called to, to, to give something else up. Or maybe as you pray about it, maybe God really speaks to you and you say, you know what, I, I, I need that. I need that kind of discipline, that spiritual discipline. I'm going to get in on that. Um, if, if nobody else does it but the pastor and I, that's absolutely fine. The pastor and I are going to do it. But we want to give you guys a chance to, to do that with us. Because... Everything that I talked about this morning, I believe with all my heart. I think that is what a church ought to look like. And I think putting our, putting our stuff in together and doing life together is so important that we ought to share all that spiritual stuff as well. So um, as, the, as we get a little bit closer to that time, the pastor and I will be, will be reminding you to pray at least for us as each of us has made the choice to give something up. Pray for the strength and the wisdom and, and, and the stuff that would that would help us to, to do that and turn that into a spiritual thing instead of just a pat on the back. Look at me, I gave him Brussels sprouts, kind of a thing. All right, let's uh, let's pray here. Lord, we want our church to be a church that honors you. We want our church to be a church that you would look at and feel pleased. In order for that to happen, Lord, we know we need to be chasing you. And Lord, that's so hard because life is so distracting and there are so many things we have to do. And there are so many things that we we want to do. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts for doing it the way you want us to do it. And if that means we've got to give stuff up, then, then Lord, give us the strength to give stuff up. If that means we just need to to huddle in a little closer to each other, then Lord, give give us the opportunity to do that. If that just means we need to listen to you more and walk closer to you so that we see those miracles a little more, Lord, give us the opportunity to do that. Give us the courage to do that. Lord, give us the thump on the head to remind us to do that. Lord, I love these people. I want them to have a good week. I want them to feel blessed. I want them to feel loved. Lord, I want them to grow in their faith so that together we can bless and love a culture that desperately needs you. Lord, I pray this in your son's name. Amen.